Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. I think I did that in reverse. Usually I say, welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. Switching it up on everyone this week. Wow. Yeah. I honestly, I zone out when you do it. So I can't (laughs) tell you which direction it I honestly do too. I think I block it out every time, but that one felt different. And I was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. That one might've been different, but interesting week this week. Is it? We have a big GOP debate tomorrow. Are you so excited? Honestly, honestly, I, I actually really am. <laughs> I didn't even register that it was this week. Like, mm. it's okay. This is how I feel about it because I know everyone is storing to know. I just feel like I've been constantly like inundated with all the yibber yabbering around the GOP people. Yeah, exactly what they're going to say. I exactly like even I was reading. I can't remember if this is like time is an illusion as per usual. I can't remember if this was this morning or if this was yesterday. Could even have been Sunday. And I was reading like The Hill, my usual like morning, you know, reading routine situation. And I just skipped the entire section about all the GOP people. I was like, I just can't. Oh, it's exhausting. I'm just excited to see them up against each other and to see like how they all play it and like if they're going to be fair. like who can be the most extreme and heinous or is there going to be a strategy of like who can kind of like walk the line and be a little more normal but still appeal to that base like it's just gonna be interesting to see if anyone plays it right or how they play it or if it's just going to be like an infighting massacre which is like obviously entertaining so I'm just like very intrigued too. It's like, you're right. I'm just, I know exactly what they're all going to say. They're all going to say some weird fucking shit that sucks and is going to give me nightmares. But it's just, I think the fact they're all going to be on the stage together is really exciting to me. I don't know. And there's oh. just going to be some really funny clips and things to okay. talk about and things to kind of just like, it's 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 a good moment to scare people about the GOP and remind them who the fuck we're up against and like, this is all happening and like these are the options and you know don't ever come for Joe Biden again when you're you're looking at these other candidates like yeah I I don't know I think I also too just have like this mentality like fate's already 
like the situation. Trump's and all his rhetoric and DeSantis and all his rhetoric and all these things is like coming to the the forefront like every single day. Like, I don't think if you're I, I think at this point you have to either be scared or concerned about what these people are about or you've been really like living under a rock. I mean, which is possible, but I just. No, I mean, I think people have been and like we're obviously exposed to it all the time. It's what we do. So I think we're. Yeah, we're a little biased. But there's definitely a lot of people who don't, you know, every single day see what these people are saying and don't feel the threat the way you do if you're inundated with it every day. But yeah, um, that's there's just I just think it's gonna be entertaining. I'm I'm excited to see what comes from it. And Trump has already recorded his interview with Tucker Carlson who like I totally just like forgot that he's not even on Fox News anymore and they don't necessarily know where it's gonna air I think like Tucker Carlson has a Twitter show but then like Trump hates Twitter so it's like where is this thing gonna air but it's like already been recorded it's not even gonna be live but it's gonna be at the same time as the debate it's just like I can't I can't it's such a circus it's such a fucking circus I'm also so interested to see like how they also the other candidates like play the trump and indicted thing so there's a poll that said nearly half of republicans say they would not vote for trump in a general election if he were convicted of a felony crime by jury in a Reuters poll but they're all gonna be like you know on trump's side with this and it's just gonna be interesting like to see if if anyone gets asked blatantly like if he is convicted of a felony what do you think and see like where they land but it's also fox news doing it so who knows right like i just don't think it's maybe it'll like to your point maybe it'll ring something new new and true to someone that hasn't been engaged until now that typically votes republican but like i just like the the gop is like set the stage of this like the last few years like they don't give a shit like yeah you know, well, no, it's like, like oh. but they're going to be it's all going to be so clippable. The clippable moments will be all over TikTok and just getting those moments in front of people is going to be, I think, good to just remind people, hey, it's about to be another presidential election cycle. Here's here's who's running. Have some fun. Go watch these clips. These people are just so insufferable. I know. I'm just I'm just having no like what can I say? I'm just like not in the mood for their bullshit. Not that I'm mm-hmm. ever in the mood for their bullshit, but I just like I'm never in okay, the, like, mood, the mood for their bullshit until it comes to GOP primary season and I get to see them duke it out against each other. That's the only thing I'm excited about is that it's a new setting where you know, it's not just them like out there doing their stupid thing, but that they're, you know, I like I just love debates, period. I think they're really entertaining and always interesting but a GOP one it hasn't happened in a long time and I'm excited to see how this new era of Republicans function on a debate stage we're just gonna get you some cage fighting tickets because I think that's Mm. that's I have been to a UFC fight and it was the worst experience of my life I saw a guy get a knee straight to the nose and it shattered his entire his like bone shattered into his face and his nose was gone i was like dad i'm never coming here again why did you take me to this like this is stupid yeah anyways 
I, oh my God, I would have literally fainted because, you know, me and blood's not, it's not good. No, we made my sister not okay. I was like, what, what are we doing here? What is anyone that doing is, here? Wait, you know what? I need to add that to my never have I ever list. Never have I ever gone to a UFC fight. I've never been to a fight. Mm. I don't even, I think the only fight I've ever actually seen is between two people in my grade senior year on the soccer field at Broadway. Mm, wow. Interesting. But all the fighting aside, we do have an episode for everybody. We do. Today. And Samantha's going to run us through our guest. Yeah. Well, speaking of fighting, we are talking about fighting for more representation on campaigns and also just like what campaigns look like. Like the classic, like working behind the scenes situation. What does that look like in today's day and age? What does that look like? at the state level beyond what are the different organizations that are really involved and paramount i've never used that word in my goddamn life paramount wow that made a harbor we're talking about campaigns and all the campaign michigas and so on with our friend sarah andrews who actually works at one of the organizations we chat about emily's list and if you guys know we've had emily's list peeps on the pod before we love what they do and we're gonna talk to you about what they do in this episode so i'm not gonna spoil it i'm not gonna do it it's just not gonna happen not here not now not anytime but anyways without further ado here's sarah all right sarah andrews welcome to girl on the gov the podcast we are so fun to be here i know it's so exciting to have you here we have so much to get into We have to talk about campaigns, working on them, working on them as a mom, mom to be more of, and also, of course, like what you're doing now in terms of recruiting candidates, just so much to get into. But I think we got to start with like how you got into politics and also how you became a campaign manager, which is one of the big roles that you've had so far in politics. I'm curious, like, where did that begin for you? How did it all happen? If you give us a little bit of like a rundown there, that'd be great. Yeah, happy to. First of all, so stoked to be here with both of you amazing ladies. Love to always build relationships with women across the country that work in this in this space. So just grateful to be here. So yeah, politics. You know, it's so funny because I feel like this is one of those fields where I talk to so many people and they're like, yeah, I studied like anthropology or I studied physics. And then I just like happen to, you know, get into politics. Like it's one of those fields where some people think, oh, I'm going to go study political science and then go get a law degree. And that's why I work in politics. And for the majority of people, especially on campaigns, like that's just not the trajectory. And I find that the people that excel in this work don't necessarily have the like traditional path that you would think. So I start by saying that because that was kind of similar to to how I got into this work. I was a little baby college student. I was studying peace and conflict studies because I went to University of Colorado in Boulder and they had a degree that was that. That I feels was like it studying. fits. Like that makes yes. sense. If there's a school that's going to have that, it's it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a rural Vermont girl, you know, go to CU wearing my Birkenstocks. I also was studying <laughs> politics at the time. But like, they didn't really think that politics was the thing for me. Like, I wanted to get into journalism. I wanted to join the Peace Corps, right? Like, those are the things I wanted to do or I thought I wanted to do. And then I was, let's see, a sophomore during the 2012 re-election campaign for the president, so President Barack Obama. 
And people were, you know, on campus trying to get people to volunteer and make phone calls. And they kept asking me. And I also was like, I've always been a little bit of a type A overachiever. So I'm like, oh, let me sign up for something. But then they kept calling me and I just like kept ignoring their calls. Finally, I'm like, fine, I'll just go into the field office and make phone calls. This is so annoying. Just maybe they'll stop calling me. And, you know, I tell this story often when I talk to people that are first getting into politics, because some people think like, I'm going to go write a policy paper. And I'm like, just go volunteer and make phone calls. And it was literally mind blowing. I remember the specific script I was calling about. I was calling just women and we were talking about the Affordable Care Act. And it literally changed my life because there was things about the Affordable Care Act that I had no idea affected me or my family. Pre-existing conditions, one of them. And it was just really a moment in my life where I felt like I was in the right time at the right place. And so fast forward, you know, many, many years later, and I think back to that moment where I'm like sitting on the ground in a field office, there's literally like two other people in this like windowless box and I'm making phone calls and like having this epiphany of like, oh my God, I can actually like change people's mind and I don't need to be a policy expert. So I ended up dropping out of college to work for Barack Obama, like many Barack Obama kids. And I'm a millennial and I, I think that was something that I felt, I remember calling my parents and they were like, wait, you're doing what? You're dropping out of school? But I was like, they're going to pay $25,000 a year. Like this is, I'm going to be oh, rich. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> it just goes to show you like how far we have come since then. And I'm going to work 100 hours a week and like get paid basically nothing. So, you know, I felt really strongly about it. I just was so passionate. Like I felt like I was literally changing the world. I felt like my voice was like a very powerful thing, which as a young person, as a night, I think I was like 19 years old, 20 years old. That was huge. So fast forward, you know, I, I ended up going back to college after the Obama campaign. So I was a field organizer. And then I did a lot of different roles. After I graduated college, I interned at the White House, which is an amazing opportunity, but realized like I wanted to get back out there, worked for Hillary Clinton for about two and a half years all across the country. I just kind of worked my way up. People work in these roles in a lot of different capacities. I'm a sucker for people that work in field because it's a little bit different now. COVID has kind of changed the political like ecosystem. But I just, I think field is just, and or community organizing is just like the, the like soul of politics. And I feel so grateful that I like started in that space. So so without going on a total tangent, uh, that's kind of, you know, fast forward, you know, I then end up working for the governor of Colorado on his first campaign as the coordinated campaign director, which is like we can get into it, but it's just like jargon for coordinating yeah. all the different campaigns at all levels for the whole state. And then this last cycle for 2022, he asked me to run his reelect and I we're off campaigns forever. I like did a bunch of other jobs in between there on the official side, figured out policy is not all that it's cracked up to be and was like, I guess I'll go do that job. Like that sounds fun. They kind of fell into it. Like you talk to people in this space and like all they want to do is like go be a campaign manager for governor or senator. And that was like not my path. It was kind of just like, well, 
I guess I'm going to do this now. No, that sounds like really obviously not. That happened because I had worked for the governor for so long. And obviously I'd worked in campaigns. It didn't just like fall in my lap. But I, I say this to young people all the time that I'm like, keep your head down, bustle, be passionate. Like you're going to end up in good places. So anyway, that's my long life story. But I think to your point, like careers are not straight lines. And I think there also used to be just like such that mentality that they were and that it's like, okay, you go, you go to high school, you go to school after or or not, you pick a career and then you go exactly with that and take the exact steps to get there. And there is no other, you know, sort of lane or path. But I think especially even post-COVID too, that has really, really evolved. And I think even more so to your point in politics. And I'm curious too, as a campaign manager, when you got to that role, how post-COVID, how that world sort of shifted what that role looked like. Like, what was it like being a campaign manager in this sort of like new era that we're in? Yeah, so obviously COVID changed a lot, especially when it came to community organizing, right? And we had to figure out different ways to communicate with people that were not door to door, right? And we know that, or, you know, in this industry, like face-to-face conversations are the most powerful. And so that was something that we just had to shift and evolve. And that was, that happened in 2020. Now in 2022, we were able to, you know, go back to in-person community organizing. But as you all know, it's just a different, and like people now are used to being online. People are used to being in these little boxes. They don't want to come into a field office. Like, and then also, you know, people, people are busy. And then we see the same issues. Like there's not child, there isn't enough childcare. There, there aren't resources for like, for young families to be able to like come in and volunteer their time, but they'll like pick up the phone and like can do, do, you know, do a dialer at home. So just like making sure that the field program had like a relational organizing aspect is, is, and was and continue be, to be very, very important as we, as we kind of are now in this new era of, of campaigns. Now, all the other stuff, you know, whether it's, comms or research, right, or digital, all of that stuff, I think it's, it it evolves. Campaigns always evolve, but none of that was really, you know, affected. I would say the advantage of COVID as people are more apt to like do online events. And so you can have sometimes a broader reach of your candidate where before it was like, I'll just wait for the candidate to come to my town. And now it's like, oh, I'll just get on a Zoom call and like do a teletown hall or whatever it is. And yeah. I think that's what actually an advantage of COVID. Not to say there's any positives of COVID, but yeah, in this space, I think there's yeah. a few. Well, I think to your point, I do think that it really normalized digital communications and like being on Zoom. Like, I do not remember Zoom ever even being a thing before COVID, I'd never even heard of it. I did all my like PR calls. It was all like non-video or like in-person meetings. And then some, like, I was almost wondering when the pandemic hit, I was like, who's been using Zoom? Like, who's been on this thing? Like, what is this technology that's like obviously existed, but just wasn't as prevalent? So I think it's interesting how like those norms have come into things. And now it's like, oh yeah, hop on a Zoom. Totally. Like makes yeah. total sense. It would be weird if it wasn't a thing. I feel like it's totally had its pros and cons too, just what it's done to organizing. Like it's kind of made it more efficient. It's kind of forced the political space to digitize and innovate. <clears throat> but 
you know, it's also, if you think about like 2020 and the way that there wasn't door knocking, there wasn't that face-to-face communication, like Biden only wins by 47,000 votes in three states. So, you know, and he could have probably won by much more if there was that field game there. But, you know, hopefully now there's, we can kind of find the perfect medium of both. But it's just such an interesting conversation. It's going to be something that I think continues to unfold as as we go through these elections. But curious from your experience, if you could kind of like draw up or like give us a a drawing of like a job description for a campaign manager, like what would the day-to-day look like? Like what's the typical pay range, hours? Like what are the kind of like job description, like bullets of what a campaign manager looks like? I know it probably varies by what type of race you're and campaign you're running, but if you can kind of give that snapshot for people who may, might have an, an itch of an interest of maybe doing it themselves or just are always curious, like what what does a campaign manager do? What How does that function? Yeah, I it's a great question. And like, there's not a great answer because like, to your point, every candidate and every level is going to be drastically different. So, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and you're, a you know, someone who just graduated from college and you've been a field organizer, like look at being a campaign manager for a state like a county commissioner or a state legislator. And that role is going to probably consist like you're going to do everything. You're going to be mm-hmm. the finance director. You're going to be the political director. You're going to do, be doing political outreach. You're going to be raising money. You're going to be, you know, look researching the the opponents, placing that opposition. If it's a competitive state legislative race, maybe you're going to be doing some radio, TV, mail. So you're kind of doing all of it at those lower level races, which I think is a great place to start, right? If someone is is like itching to, to do the campaign manager role and they don't have like a ton of experience in politics, like look at local races first. City council, city council people need campaign managers, right? Like you, you might, you can ke- cut your teeth in that and, and you could do all of it and learn so much mm-hmm. in, in that one role. Now, you know, being a campaign manager on like a, you know, a congressional race or a statewide race like governor like what I did is a is a much larger scale organization that you're building. I love to describe my role as like a executive of, of a startup because yeah, or totally. when I was in that role, because that's New York Times did this really great piece in 2016 about like I think it was like the Hillary Clinton versus Bernie campaign and that it was like the largest startups ever. Like we and I was on the Hillary campaign, right? So like we went from zero dollars to like 250 million right in like a year. That's crazy when you think about the tech, the tech world or, you know, how much money they raise and how much, you know, like what that cash flow looks like over a short amount of time. So when you get into these larger races, it's very much like making sure all the pieces fit. So I'm not necessarily like staffing the candidate anymore. I'm not necessarily like pitching reporters or writing press releases. I'm overseeing all of those pieces. But, you know, to your question, like, what does a campaign manager do? It's kind of what you make of it. I, you know, and and what your candidate needs and wants. Like every candidate's different. Every race is different. But whether it's comms, field, finance, digital research, like all of those things fall under the umbrella of campaign manager. Depending on your level, you might be you know, one foot in, you might be, you know, fully, fully bought into like one of those pieces on any given day. 
wild. I love the it's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it totally it is because yes. like like you said, and like we're saying, it's like it really does differ between you know level which you're running, also to like where you're running, how competitive the race is. Is this like a shot in the dark? And you know, sort of you know, getting the you know legs to a campaign that might lose, but you know, sort of starting that life work there or whatnot. I mean, there's just so many different options, but I'm curious for these campaign managers, for your pastoral too, like, are there support systems for campaign managers? Are there resources? Like, what's that sort of world look like? Yeah, at every different level, there's there's usually, you know, a committee or or an organization in state or nationally that supports campaign managers. So, you know, anywhere from the state legislative level, there's like sometimes the House Majority Project in some of these states that that can that can help recruit and train managers when they start at, you know, the congressional Senate or governor's level, like the Democratic Governors Association, for instance, was a huge support for me. Right. You have these they, they're called political desks. And it's actually what I'm doing now at Emily's List for campaigns. So being a support system for and basically a, a mentor advisor to campaign managers to talk them through, you know, maybe they're I always like to say like I'm part-time therapist, part-time advisor, strategic advisor, because sometimes like campaign managers are just like having a tough day. Like we're all humans, right? And this is tough work. And so you just need someone to like, you know, have a gut check, have a, you know, brainstorm with, figure out solutions and not feel like you're being judged, right? I think politics can be this amorphous blob where it's like, well, I didn't go to some Ivy League school and I don't have a policy degree, so I can't do this or like be strategic and make, you know, strategic political decisions. And the truth is, is like, you're probably going to be better because of that. And having these DGA or Emily's List or the D-Trip be able to be like a mentor and advisor for campaign managers. And that's like what they've all, it's kind of their bread and butter, I believe, one of their, one of their big big pieces that they do is super helpful. And so I would say to people that are interested in doing it, like you're never alone, right? There's always going to be people out there that are rooting for you, either outside organizations or like people like me, right? That can help and advocate for CMs. Yeah, that's so funny because it reminds me of when we had Emily Kane on from Emily's List. She's the former executive director, right? I think she said that exactly about the like therapist part of it. And I was like, that is just such a special piece of the work you guys do, because I'm sure it's it's so needed. Plus, I feel like all the craziness that happens in politics, even just like on a given day, like you need a venting space. You need like a safe space to be like, I cannot believe this happened. What should I do? Or even if there's not even an action to the vent, it's like there just needs to be a spot for it. Well, and you're just thrown in, like you're just thrown into the fire usually with campaigns. And so to be able to kind of like ask those like quote unquote stupid questions, which we like to ask on our show, to have someone that you feel comfortable like doing that with and like jumping, jumping in to have any uh, questions, answers must be so helpful because not only is it so fast paced, but it's probably just really intimidating space. And especially if you're a campaign manager for the first time and you're supposed to be the leader and like, who are you supposed to ask? Who's above you? That's going to you know, help you through that. So I think that's such a cool piece of the work you guys do for sure. Totally. And to think about like where a campaign manager's career can go and like what that looks like. Obviously, like a campaign runs and then the candidate either wins or they lose. What do sort of the pathways look like 
post-election for both of those scenarios. Like if the candidate wins was typically the path and what if they, unfortunately, don't make it past the finish line, what happens there? Yeah. You know, this is like something that I know every organization really, or not everyone, but like, and especially at Emily's List, like trying to figure out a pipeline for political staff is always really challenging. Like, I don't think there's like a silver bullet to it, regardless if you win or lose, right? Because let's say, you know, you're working for someone who's already an incumbent, which like is someone who's already in office and they already have all of their team set up and you win and you're, yay, this is so great. But then they don't have any open positions. And so like working, I always say like politics is a networking game too. And so like working those relationships seeing, you know, and again, put your head down, try hard, be a good person, be passionate, like good things will happen to you. But you still have to do that like networking game, right? And and that can be challenging, especially for young people and be really intimidating. So I, you know, there's not a great silver bullet and there's not a great, you know, one organization that does this work. But what I can say is there's great like training programs for folks like the Blue Light Leadership Collaborative, does this. So let's say someone just got off a campaign and they're looking for something. They can go to the Blue Leadership Collaborative, do a campaign management training. We have at Emily's List, the finance director training, and then we help, you know, place people onto races. That's now that's for the political space. If someone wants to like keep moving up in campaigns, you know, for someone who's working on a campaign and it's, a, you know, someone who's new, they get elected. Like there's lots of opportunities, right? When the governor of Colorado was first running and he gets into office, like there was lots of opportunities because it was a brand new administration. So, you know, I always like to say, you know, obviously work for someone that you're passionate about, but also kind of think about the long, the long term. And, you know, you got to look out for you at the end of the day. And so, just thinking when I'm talking to people about like, okay, well, what campaign makes most sense for you? Like I screen a lot of potential campaign managers. And that is definitely a question that people ask, like, well, what is the trajectory look for me look for me after this campaign? Either, you know, either we win or we lose. And those are the hard questions that I think some people have to ask, especially, you know, cost of living these days is so expensive. Like we can't afford to be on paid internships anymore. Like that's not a thing, right? Um, But just thinking about like, what are your resources? Where do you want to be? Those are things I encourage people to to just like think think through. And I'm like a resource for that, right? I'm just an example of a resource. And I'm sure you ladies are too, of like what makes the most sense for folks. Yeah, for sure. Well, to transition, you mentioned, you know, your time as campaign manager. We want to get into some of that because you, like we said, were campaign manager for governor of Colorado. Curious about like how you ended up working on that campaign. And also like, we know you received some, some big news on that campaign and kind of how that all shook out for you. I guess we can start with, with the kind of intro story and, and and how you got there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So not to be too repetitive, but, you know, just some my kind of life story of how I got into this work. I was working on in the governor's administration. I was the chief of staff for a government agency and I kind of swore off campaigns like I'm never doing it again. I'm exhausted. I, you know, put in my time, 100 hour week. Yeah. I'm getting old. <laughs> like I'm getting, at that point, I'm like getting close to my 30s. Like you can't do this anymore. <laughs> 
And then I was convinced to run the reelect. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, all of my friends in politics always say like, Sarah, you always say you're never going to do a campaign again. I think you always do another campaign. I feel like that is everyone who works on campaigns. It's It's always like, never again. That was fun, but never again. And then it's always like, it's like a drug. You just got to go back at some point. It totally is. Like there's those people that do like one campaign and then they're done. And then there's people like me who like go back and forth and they do the, you know, the 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 political side to the campaign side and then go back to the, you know, official side. So anyway, that's kind of how I got into it is I was I was convinced I was asked and it's hard to say no when like it's being campaign it's like, when, fun, like I said. when you have a long weekend with your friends and you don't feel so good afterwards you're like I'm never drinking again and then yes. next weekend comes along and your friends present you with a fun plan you're like well <laughs> I'm back <laughs> here I am yeah I I mean that's like the perfect analogy <laughs> actually I'm gonna use that there we go so yeah that's that's kind of how I got into it so I got married Gosh, at the beginning of the campaign of the reelect, I was supposed to get married like two years before, but you know, COVID happened. Like many, many soon to be brides. Um, I had to post, I think it was almost three years I had to postpone my wedding. Oh my God. It was just nuts. So that was like already in the works. And I got pregnant like really soon after I got married. It was like not something that we planned, but it happened. And you know, I was at that point, like, there's never going to be a good time to, uh, like, you know, I'm almost 30 at this point, like, I'm almost 30. And, or God, I think I was already 30. I can't remember. I Yeah, I was definitely yeah. already 30. And was like, I think, like, we're just going to do it. And, you know, it's going to suck. And it's going to be really hard. But we can do hard things. Yeah. I can do How hard things. How long until so- election day was it? Like, when you... When I found out. Yeah. So like when was your due date compared to election day, essentially? So I was due June 2nd and election day was, yeah, in November. So like, what is that? Six months. So I'm like, remember doing, like doing the math in my head. I'm like, okay, so I get, you know, I have this baby. Hopefully they come early because in campaigns, I'm all I'm thinking about is like when we're going up on TV and when our mail <laughs> program starts and like when we have to film the commercials. And I'm like, no, I have to be part of that. So I'm like, great. So maybe I'll get induced like a week early. That would be perfect timing. I'll take six weeks off, which we can get into that, which absolutely was not enough time. And then go back. And that's literally what happened. Like oh I, my, 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 like our senior advisor on the campaign kind of gave me a hard time because she's like of course you would like plan your pregnancy to the t of like timing i ended up scheduling an induction to be a week so i was gonna give birth on may 27th i think which was like a week before i was due or my due date and i ended up going into labor naturally sorry it's tmi but on may 25th so my son was born on my birthday Yeah. So, oh, so it was the 26th though. It was the 26th in okay. the morning, like early. Birthday, birthday buddy yeah. still. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just funny. So the timing worked out well, but I always say like, there's never a good time, especially if you're like a working, I mean, it's just a lot for any woman. So much respect for, more respect for my mother than I 
I love my mom. But now after going through that, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know how you did this multiple yeah. times. Yeah, I took six weeks off and I was working definitely through some of that. And I had a friend, mentor of mine who took over the campaign for those six weeks. I am forever indebted to her. An amazing woman that just believes in supporting other women. So I will do it if someone else needs somebody to take over their gubernatorial Senate campaign while they're having, you know, getting maternity leave. I will be there. So just saying. But yeah, it was it was intense. Like Mm -hmm. it was not an enjoyable thing, but it was like going through going back to work so early and pumping at debates at stage like that happened doing debate prep with the governor pumping right like having my breast milk in the communal campaign staff bridge with these like 20 something year old kids who like love them love my team but I'm pretty sure they were like the f is in the fridge like <laughs> all right that's I mean I have funny like, stories do not like, drink I this like, off not limits. drink this like this little lunchbox that I would carry around with me to a campaign events, like staffing the governor and people like, oh, that's a cute lunchbox. I'm like, no, that's my. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah, it was it was a wild ride. And I did a few like, you know, post, I don't know, postmortem, postpartum postpartum things ever since like created not equal I started a blog after that just to like talk about my experience being you know being a gubernatorial campaign manager and and having a baby with four months left to the election it was a fun time (laughs) yeah Yeah. because I feel like I mean campaigns I don't know necessarily who they're made for, but it's definitely not women men you know yeah I mean like, like even like with men it's like a lot of the stuff's like inconvenient too, just in general. So I'm like, are they really made for humans? I don't know. Whole other debate. But I like what I'm sure there are so many flags amongst the campaign space that you could say this needs to change for young women, for women in general, for of course mothers. Like, but are there maybe like two things that you're like these immediate things need to change to make this space more accessible? Yeah, I mean. Childcare is huge. Like childcare is a crisis everywhere, no matter what industry. Like for everyone in the United right. States, it's it's a crisis. And you know, I think this for for both candidates and for campaign staff, like to be able to work in a campaign and take time off and feel supported. Like it, it's true, there isn't a lot of spaces where or opportunities on campaigns where you could just like go and. And I don't want to say like take time off because you're not taking time off. You are not sleeping and you are like in a daze and you're caring for another human being. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard when you're in an environment with a lot of people that are not parents per se yet. And so there's like, I think people don't really understand or haven't been through it. So for instance, I'll use the example of like, I couldn't talk from 5 to 7 p.m because I had a child that I had to feed and put out down to bed. And, you know, some fo- you know, some people in the political environment just like didn't understand that, whether like they had kids or not, or whether they just like never, maybe they, a lot of men in this space that just like never had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just like setting clear boundaries, number one, is like really huge, right? Like immediate things that you can do, like set real boundaries, set real expectations, I think obviously having women like me in this space that are open to 
having staff that might, you know, might get pregnant. And if they get pregnant, that's okay because we support women, right? We're part of the Democratic Party. That's what we do. It's easier to say than do, right? I I find that like this is a space, the Democratic ecosystem, where we love to like talk about progressive change, but like sometimes in our own ecosystems and our own organizations, like does that actually happen? Mm -hmm. Right. Not all the time. I mean, I was just thinking about this podcast before we did it and a great example. So number two, again, is like going back to childcare is Luba Gretchen and Shirley, hopefully I didn't botch her name. She ran for Congress and yes, and successfully petitioned the FEC to allow her campaign funds to pay for childcare. Ended up starting Vote Mama. So I'm sure you probably know her or heard Mm -hmm. of her. But I think that's like a great example of like, what can we do to create a space for women? Both candidates, I mean, working at Emily's List, like I see this all the time where people are like, I, you know, I have a sportive partner at home, but like, let's be honest, like there's usually one person in the relationship that, that does a lot of the like, I mean, yeah, it did, that does a lot of the like childbearing work, whether it's like packing the daycare bag or bringing your kid to child to daycare or, you know, preparing meals or breastfeeding or whatever it is. There's usually, you know, it's we call it the double shift, right? Or that's like a term you've probably heard where you like go to work all day and then you come home to your second job, do laundry, et cetera. So there's like, I didn't answer your question because you said two things and I listed like a million, but no, there are I a million. It, so I think it's fair. There are yeah. a million, yeah. I'm curious too. It's so in, it's such an interesting conversation in the um, scope of looking at campaign managers or just campaigns in general, since it's such a short, you know, time period of when you're working and doing that role. Typically, it's like around a year. Um, so it's really interesting, too, because when you think about kind of like some of these reforms we're looking for with like extending like maternal leave and like making that a better option for women, like having allowing them to have more time to tend to their child after they give birth or more time off before they give birth. But it's like in a campaign, by the time you get all that time off, like the campaign's over or that it's not even it's like, mm-hmm. is there ever pressure or people like just step down and then like next next election maybe or we'll help set you up on this other role it's like what is the solution for that specific like scope of work of like a timely like mm-hmm. campaign role you know it's like such a tricky spot to be in because it's like the best solution would be giving what moms more time off with their child and to be able to like heal and take care of themselves and like you know all of that but also the campaign's over so it's like then we lose this career opportunity it's just like tough And let's be clear, like, I think also what fuels and I'm not blaming men at all, but like there's plenty of men that have kids on campaigns. You just like don't hear about it because they go back to work three days after their child is born and their partner is at home caring for that child and not in the workforce. So, you know, that also happens. Right. And I think that it's just like not right in front of our faces. And I think like paid family leave is something that is also just a crisis in our country. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy that we don't support men and women 
after they have a child, whether you give birth or not, it shouldn't matter. Like it's it's really a broken system that we have. And I think it goes to the crux of your question, which is like, what you know, what do you do? And especially on campaigns, like you said, where it's like it's a set time. So you can't just like come back like you have to kind of pick up your work later. It's like, no, it's there's a. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who is a, a man who works in campaigns and he had on his second child when he was managing a congressional campaign and like literally no one even knew. I remember he was like, oh, my wife's due in three weeks. And I was like, wait, what? What are you doing? For, like, what are you doing? And he was like, well, I'm going to go to the hospital and then I'm going to go back to work like right yeah. after. Yeah. Because the way I would murder that man, that <laughs> man would be dead. He would be six <laughs> feet under. He would be swimming with the fishes. I'm just putting it out there in case any very hot billionaire, but like liberal men are listening to this and think about proposing to me. That is your your warning. Anyways, <laughs> he's, he's a wonderful person, but I just was like a crazy exit, right? It's like, because he could do that and no, no one, yeah. like, he didn't actually right. have to like go through but a also like surgery. Why, or- yeah. <laughs> and it just makes sense, especially given the scope of work. It's like, he has to mm-hmm. kind of get back on it because there's this big election day that we have to be prepared for and that there there it's like literally the t- the clock t- clock is ticking but like women don't get that luxury with the specific job so it's like it's hard and, the, and again but in like the regular corporate world like yeah he better be like taking time off and like taking care of his you know partner and his child and but if you don't have that luxury with the campaign then like you kind of should go back to work just like you did but like you obviously had to go back to really hard circumstances and deal with, you know, having a new child, which is just, I plan to go into a dark hole when I have a child. Like nobody talked to me. Excuse me, me and my baby. Goodbye. Maddie's in a cocoon yeah. and no one yeah. has heard more. In isolation. Home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, but one I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think. It also makes me wonder, too, if like the way that we have we campaign in general needs to change. Like, is it also too like changing how far in advance campaigns begin or changing sort of like the scope of work or the structure of a campaign? Like, is there anything in that realm that you think could change that would also I think also paired with childcare that could like really help? You know, it starts at the top. It's, yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but like this is an institutional problem where it's all about, I mean, with business, it's all about the bottom line. And with this industry, it's all about winning. And when you, when you kind of take a step back, what does winning mean? It means spending the least amount of money. It means start having the smallest runway. It, you know, it means being the scrappiest. And mm-hmm. so fortunately, the institutions of political campaigns are not necessarily set up for, you know, women or candidates, right? That are, who also are women, right? To, to like care for young children, have a baby. I mean, this is like why Emily, just to come back to Emily's list, like another reason why Emily's list exists and why we started over, you know, almost now 40 years ago was to help break this like institutional problem right this is why we had a a congress that was majority men like we still only hold what 28 percent of 
seats in Congress. Women only hold 28% of the seats in Congress. And this is because of like a, a societal, you know, or institutional like yeah. breaking point. Like, I think, I think, again, we go back to like, talk is cheap. Like, how do we actually make change and from the ground up? And like, that's what Emily's List does, right? We like give women the resources. We, you know, I was talking to a woman, a consultant who's based in Chicago. She's been, she's much older than me. She's been in this work for many, many years. And she was saying, gosh, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, when it was like the year of the woman, what was it, 1990 something, 1992 was like when I was born, basically. And literally, there was like these women, like ecosystems. And it was like, this person is going to take care of their the kid and bring food to the candidate and drive the, per- you know, drive the kids to daycare and just to like support women that were running for office in that way. I'm like, where did that go? Like, we need that. Like, that's the organization that we need to like, either we need to do it at Emily's or we need to like figure out a way to do it somewhere because that's the problem, right? Like, yeah, paid family leave, childcare, all the societal issues that we face like trickle down into now what we are talking about, which is like women in politics. And that's just not to be like a downer because I think there's lots of good things that we can do, but like, it's going to take time, right? It's 2023 and we still yeah. only have 28%. <laughs> right. like, totally. What it's is happening? Yeah, totally. Well, you are a superhero for all of your amazing work and just hope to see more, more and more of it. Hopefully we can start to break down some of these, these barriers, but tell us a little bit more about your role now at Emily's List and particularly like what you guys are working on leading to 24, which is going to be huge. I'm sure things are kicking up, but what's new? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, gosh, so a lot. So after the campaign, uh, I took some time, well-deserved time off, I will say, with Mm -hmm. my little guy, which was great. I called it my sabbatical. Love it. (laughs) So that people were like, what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm on a sabbatical. And people just shut up after that. Yeah. Uh, See, like, that I like, love. It's knowing like what will just shut people up and having just those cues yeah. ready to go. Honestly, that would be like a fun little like pocket dictionary to have, like little terms for politics of like just yes. immediate shut up moments. Okay. I remember yeah. when my professors used to like say they're like going on sabbatical next semester. You won't see me. I'm like, what are you really doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> what does dude, that you're, mean? You're smart for And then Maddie that. began to snoot. And that's how that all <laughs> went down. <laughs> so, yeah, for anyone that's listening that's in between campaign jobs, if someone asks you what you're doing, you just say that you're on sabbatical and no one will ask you. <laughs> yeah. So I started with Emily's list a few months ago as the federal gubernatorial campaigns director. And it's been amazing. I mean, I love what I do. I think th- this is a fun fact about me when I was in college and I went back to college after I dropped out and then ended up being convinced to go back. I wrote my honors thesis and it was called Women Are Bitches, Men Are Leaders. And so mm-hmm. it just feels like so love full that. circle to be back in this work, you know, almost 15 years later. And I love, love what I do. Like right now I'm in California. I'm talking to ladies who are interested in running for Congress or already running for Congress. And it's like so empowering for me. And I feel so humbled to be in this work at this level and, you know, being able to like really move the needle 
on these things that we were talking about, I think having more women in elected office, especially at the federal level, is going to change these things. It's already changing things. We've seen a few policies come down or, you know, get into law the the last few months, which is really exciting that help pregnant people, that help women. But we're just going to see more of those when we have more women elected to office. So in my role at Emily's List, you know, I do kind of a full gambit, whether it's recruitment, whether it's I kind of love to say I'm like part time therapist, again, part time, you know, political advisor to to many campaigns across across the, you know, my region for the for the country everywhere from Congress to to governor. And so it's an incredible privilege to be able to work with these with these women. Um so we do everything from like recruiting campaign managers and finance directors to setting up budgets to um, putting together, you know, media plans and, you know, all all of the things that kind of and I'm not going to throw all the jargon at the wall here, but like all the things that have to go into running a professional lean operation. We we help women set up. We we, you know, give them the resources and really the confidence to run a campaign and a, a win a winning campaign. I always say like I'm in the business of electing women, but I'm also in the business of winning. And that's what we do at Emily's List. And so really excited for 2024. It's going to be an incredible cycle. We have obviously presidential at the top of the ticket. I believe that we have a very strong opportunity to take back the house. So mm-hmm. we have incredible ladies all across the country, incredible men too, but you know, I don't work with them. So incredible <laughs> ladies that I mean are just and like I say, like going back to the beginning of our conversation, a lot of these women were like community organizers or like mm-hmm. PTA presidents or started, you know, were a stay-at-home mom and then ran for city council. I mean. It's just like talking about it right now, like I'm getting chills. Like these, the stories I hear are absolutely incredible. And it gives me hope because I know there's a lot of shit right now in politics and it's easy to feel like it's, we're never going to do anything. But when you go and talk to these women who are running for Senate and Congress and governor, like it gives me hope at the end of the day, like we're, we're doing things, we're changing things gonna take a long time but gotta start somewhere totally it's step by step bit by bit like and i think too it's what we've learned in politics is like redefining also what a win is like maybe it's not winning the first time but it's winning the second time it's making like inroads in different places and you know that is always sort of a changing situation but i'm super curious to your point about potentially winning back the house in this next race what you know, states, what areas give you hope? Like, where are the sort of like rays of sunlight? They're like, ooh, everyone should pay attention here. Yeah. So I, I'm in California right now, and this is one of the states I work in. And, you know, I always say, and I think this is like a something that you probably have heard from other folks is like taking back the house runs through New York and California, right? There's so many oh, wow. opportunities. I think that's where both of you are from, right? Or live, right? Mm-hmm. Maddie, you're in California, Sam, you're yeah. in, in New York. So we need you out there helping us win, win some of these win, win some of these seats. So I think the key, obviously, is is holding on to our incumbents, right? Protecting yeah. them, um, making sure they get reelected, but also, you know, winning some of these red to blue seats that we used to hold in the past. Now with redistricting, like we, you know, in last year, was it was a better better year than we thought but 
we did lose a lot of seats on the um, congressional level. And so looking at that map and seeing, and I can tell you right here in California, there is a ton of opportunity to flip congressional seats from red to blue. We've held them before. We have phenomenal candidates. It's just going to, you know, we're, it's still early, but it's never too early to run a campaign. I always say, you know, early money is like yeast. Yeast, it makes the, it makes the dough rise. There's our mantra here at Emily's List. So I would say your question, New York and California, obviously there's going to be like little pieces and little, you know, races across the country that are, you know, don't exist just in those states, but those are the two two big states I would keep an eye out for. The primaries here in California is in March is the jungle primary. So then it's just the top two. So, you know, we're going to probably see a lot of dem on dem races. I don't necessarily think that's bad. I mean, honestly, like for that's yeah. great because then we know we end up having a Democrat at the end of the day. But yeah, it's going to be a long road ahead. But I'm feeling I'm feeling confident, you know, it would be. This is our year. Like turnout yeah. is hopefully going to be high. So yeah. we just got to, you know, keep talking about these races and these candidates. And yeah. Yep. Agreed. Really. All us. I mean, all the other side is doing is having like Lauren Bober and, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene fight each other. So I think we're in a good spot. You know, I yeah. really. So bad. Yeah. And they're just, yeah, so many things the other side is doing that we will, we will save for another episode, perhaps. But thank you so much for this amazing conversation. We loved hearing your story. We love digging into all of this campaign manager stuff. And I think your insight is super helpful for people who are just curious about the space or maybe want to get into it as well. So thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. I appreciate both of you ladies. You're amazing. Thank you for all that you do. You too. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.